to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. How are you? I am good. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I thought we could start today with a little recap. I'm still on a high from the event I just attended this week. It was Ad Age for Small Agencies Conference and Award Show, and it was amazing. I think I transcribed the whole conference and took so many notes. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh my God. I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, it was great. It was so nice being on the agency side of things. I think you and I deal with clients all day and being around other people on the agency side of things was so interesting to hear how people navigate their different client situations and staff situations. And it was just really cool to remember that there are other people in the space like us. You know, empathy is such a big part of how we work with our clients and help our clients. Did you hear any conversation around that at the conference? I heard so many conversations about empathy, which made me so happy because it's a word we say a lot at Base Beauty. And it sounds like people are really understanding that, especially as an agency, it's a people business. People, clients are entering these relationships with us because they want to work with us. You know, like the work will get done better if you can be empathetic to your client's workload and vice versa and really have a great working relationship. That's where the magic seems to happen for a lot of these agencies. I'm pretty sure we've seen that time and time again when we focus on the people aspects and making sure that we're helping our clients look like superstars in their organization and help our clients, you know, and make their job easier every day in a sense. That's when we win, right? Because um, there's a lot of talent out there, but it doesn't mean that the talent always resonates to being helpful to a large global strategic organization. Yeah, absolutely. So how was your week? What do we have on the show this week? My week was great. Base Beauty brag, we're getting new clients. So we'll share more with our fans on our Base Beauty channels. But it's always so fun to watch the agency grow and see the team succeed. But from a podcast perspective, I want to talk about Nay Penda. So Alejandra, who leads our influencer marketing program, she introduced us to Nay. And this is such an incredible interview. She was a teacher in the Bronx. And also loved beauty and literally is that dream story of somebody who's just like passionate about something, turns to social media to learn more, share her learning with her growing audience, and now is a major force. And she's a fascinating person and such a great interview. I am so excited for this conversation. I love to hear those really unique jumping off points for people's big breaks, I guess you can call them for their careers. And Nay's content is so positive. She's she's really inspiring to her audience and feeling their best and looking their best every day. So I can't wait to hear this one. Yeah. And we talk about the hard stuff too. You know, this is um, beauty and she also does some fashion. There are industries that have progressed and moved forward, but not as much as we would hope. Sometimes um, in fashion, notably takes a few steps back we hear about in the news quite a bit. So um, this, we have a very candid conversation there, but it's a great interview. Nay's fascinating and gorgeous and glowy and amazing. That's amazing. I'm so excited. Brands have so many more options for skin tone matching and extended closing, clothing sizes. And it really is a great space for more progress and diversity and inclusivity in the industry overall. So that'll be great to hear. And um, at the end, you know, of our show, um, so people have to really watch our show on Instagram because we have Instagram exclusive content where we do games and fans ask questions. So if you go back to our Instagram, you'll hear Nate's recommendations for her favorite brand of jeans. And as somebody who like literally just has sworn off jeans because like forget it, they never fit right. She's tested it out. She's done the hard work. So if you're looking for 
for top picks for curvy jean brands, you have to tune in. Okay, I know that's going to be a really good tip. I will definitely listen. Here is Napenda, episode 236. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we start our artistry and influencing theme with Nay Penda, a digital beauty creator and influencer. She covers everything from beauty, plus size fashion, and lifestyle in her vlog and Instagram. This style star will inspire you to embrace your curves and look your best every day. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about her career journey from political science to fashion blogging, all on episode 236. Hey, Nay, welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, (laughs) thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that we could make this happen. Me too. So let's start in the beginning, like way, 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 way back, Nay, you were um, 11 years old. What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was 11, I definitely used to tell everyone I wanted to be a lawyer. Like I used to love arguing. I had three siblings. I was the eldest. I had to always feel like I had to make my case. So like when I was speaking to my parents and so everyone used to just like, you love arguing so much. You might as well be a lawyer. And I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. (laughs) And? And I'm not. (laughs) Didn't even make it to law school. So there's that. (laughs) Well, what about undergrad? Was political science something that you pursued at that point? Yes. So political science was the major that I declared from my freshman year. Um, So I did political science. I actually did political science and law. That was like the conjunction of the actual degree. Um, And I finished it out all four years. Well, I also was a law undergrad major. My The title of mine was government law, but I'm sure it's pretty similar. And I too didn't go into the law. <laughs> well, everything happens for a reason because our paths were able to cross because neither of us went into <laughs> law finally. So, um, you know, you go to school for this and your ambitions were to pursue law. What changed? I think the passion, like when I was younger, identifying myself as someone who wanted to be a lawyer really had a lot to do with like the fact that I was able to like make my point whenever I had arguments and like think through things. And of course, at the time, like there were all of these law shows, criminal minds and all of these things. So I think there's like a glamorous side of like what being a lawyer appears to be. Whereas the actual nitty gritty is like a lot of reading, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. And so I think once I got to college and I got a taste for what law could possibly be with my political science major, I was just like, I don't think I'm passionate about this. And like, because I wasn't so passionate about it, the next step just wasn't law school for me. So what was that next step? So at that time, I just honestly and truly wanted to have a paying job out of college. Like that was just my number one focus is, okay, well, if I'm not going to continue education as a lawyer, like what could I do right now that I think I would be good at? And I had did a lot of time volunteering with children through a youth program um, at my undergraduate, also volunteered at like maximum security prison facilities through my undergraduate career. So I was like, I like working with kids or like younger teenagers. And so naturally being in education was like the next step for me. So I actually applied to something called City Year and I started teaching literally the month I graduated. Oh, and how old were the kids that you were teaching? My first six months teaching through City Year, I was dealing with third graders. So they were like eight, nine years old, pretty young. And then after that, I started teaching at like a regular high school. So I worked with 14-year-olds in a high school in the South Bronx. So this is really interesting because you're a creator now and a lot of your fans are probably high school age, right? I would actually say a lot of my supporters are in their 20s, 30s, like they're my age. 
Um, I always make the joke, like when I first started, because I worked in a high school, a lot of my first followers were uh, um, high school age because some of my first supporters were my students. But after like that, I think a lot of my, my, my main audience in between the ages of like 20 to like 35, 40. So you're saying like as a creator, it's almost like your fans are growing up with you, right? A little bit? Yeah, I would say we're all growing through transitions together. Like I'm seeing everyone either do like career changes or getting married or having babies. Like we're all just going through life together is what I would say. So I'm curious, you've had jobs in education. You've had jobs in customer service. Which is harder? I would say education only because even as a teacher, you're still technically working in customer service. The customer is just your student, right? Like I am a, I was a huge believer as a teacher that like my students weren't just people who had to follow everything that I said. Um, I didn't believe in that at all. I felt like they were humans. And so in my classrooms, I always welcomed like conversations and welcomed their feelings and welcomed them being able to say, Hey, I actually don't think this is okay. Like I value their opinions a lot. And so I feel like if anything, it's much harder because when I was working in customer service, you're dealing with a client one-to-one. When you're in a classroom, you're dealing with 35 different people, 35 different emotions, 35 different personalities with one objective of teaching one thing. So it's way more nuanced, I think, than anything else I've done. Yeah. When you put it in those terms, it's, you know, um, one-on-one versus one-on-35. That's yes. um, very daunting. Yeah. <laughs> It was. What's one thing that you learned teaching that you still use every day in your current life? Don't say sorry, just do the right thing. That was like whenever we had like issues in the classroom and a student would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, miss, I'm so sorry, miss. I'd be like, don't say sorry, just do the right thing. Because sorry is like, it's nice to hear, but what's better is the actions that follow you being sorry. Show me that you're sorry. And so I feel like in my day-to-day life, I'm going to make mistakes, whether as a partner, a sibling, a creator, mistakes are going to happen. And I think it's more so about correcting those mistakes and corrective measures to just make sure that I get back on the right track and make sure that I'm communicating effectively. So I think don't say sorry, just do the right thing is like my motto. I love this. And that has to be our quote for Nay (laughs) when we promote this episode. It's so meaningful. I'm like getting inspired and I want to share this with my team because what it shows is, yeah, like I, um, I understand what I messed up, but I'm actually going to take an action now. I'm not just going to sit in that spot of, okay, it was wrong. Now I'm going to move on. Right. 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 And I think it's really, really hard for people to say I was wrong. Right. Right. Like that our automatic defenses go up. Right. And the armament goes up. But it's wonderful to be wrong. It's incredible to make mistakes. That's how we learn and evolve. And a lot of learning happens. And well, what do you do next? Right. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Of course. So uh, let's skip ahead to um, life as a creator and a partner. What was that first gig you got, that first job you got that you got paid for as a creator? And you're like, you know, it's almost like when restaurants put that first dollar bill on the wall. Yeah, it was actually with a black owned brand called The Lip Bar. Um, I was still teaching. And I remember when I got the email that they wanted to partner with me and the amount that they were paying me at that time was the biggest amount that I had been offered. And I remember two of my students were like sitting in the classroom and I dropped the phone. I was like, oh my gosh. And they were like, what happened? What happened? And I just looked at them and I'm like, oh, like I just got a new opportunity. And it was like really, 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 really heartwarming. And it felt so good, especially being that it was a black owned brand. And that was the first brand that paid me my worth at the time. So it felt really good. Like that's 
it, it's what stands out to me. That's a major brand too. That's incredible. Yeah. What is it like now when your inbox is probably pretty full of requests or proposals? What is your process in curating what the right partnerships are for you now? I think the first question I always ask is, do I like would I actually use this brand? Because sometimes mm-hmm. there are partnerships where there are brands that are new, there are brands that I haven't tried before. And so I feel like I always just ask myself, is this the actual product that if I had to purchase it, I would have use for? Is it something that I feel comfortable sharing? Is it something that I think people who follow me would actually care to see? Like, would my audience be interested in this at all? And once I cover those questions of, okay, is this something I would actually use? Then we go into, okay, well, how does it actually work? <laughs> and then from there, my management takes over as far as just negotiating contracts and rates and all of those things. But I think the first question I always ask is what I actually use this. And then after that is, do I like this product? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to 2017, because that's when you started on YouTube. What happened in your life where you're like, I'm going to do this? Yes. Yeah, so it actually, I feel like I started posting content in 2017, but my interest in beauty really like was spearheaded in 2015. Like I, I specifically remember being a senior in college. My sister had just came in as a freshman. And I remember my sister's friends who were like three years younger than me, all of their makeups was done beautifully. Like they knew how to put on their own eyelashes. And I was still walking around with like baby pink powder lipstick with no liner, like no foundation. And I was just like, how does my sister and her friends know how to do their makeup more than me? Like, I need to learn how to do my makeup. So I went on YouTube and I became obsessed and I fell in love with YouTube specifically at the time. Like, Jackie Aina, Destiny Godly were some of the first people that, like, I really, really fell in love with. And from watching them, I remember thinking, like, a lot of the times when I'm seeing products being used by other people who I'm watching on YouTube, they don't look anything like me. So I have to guess what my shade would be. I have to guess the technique that I would use as far as applying the product. Like, there was a lot of work to it and so around 2017 I was just like you know what there's no one really like my complexion that I see doing this or there were a few but like no one of course is going to be you everyone is going to be different in their delivery and their style and their look and so I started in 2017 just posting and my first video was actually kind of dedicated to Jackie Ina she had just did a collaboration with Too Faced for the Born This Way Foundation so that was my first YouTube video it was like trying the Too Faced Born This Way Foundation and it felt like a full circle moment because she was the reason why I even found YouTube and got interested in YouTube. And my first video was connected to that. So. And have you met Jackie in person? I've met her at a, I believe it was a Essence of Fans in New York, if I'm not mistaken. So I have met her once or twice. Yeah. And you know, she's ventured off into creating Forever Mood, a really beautiful fragrance brand, sold at Sephora. Her partner and CEO, Dennis has been on our show Um, He actually won our Listen Again Award, which is really exciting. So, you know, when you see what Jackie's done, um, does that inspire you to take this even farther and build brands beyond content? Of course. Like, I feel like there's a few creators in general in the economy that I feel like, you know, they deserve their flowers because they've created a blueprint for others like myself to like kind of follow and to be able to be inspired by. So I feel like she's a constant inspiration, not just because of her branching on creating her own brand, but also just this idea of a creator of constantly having to pivot, you know, mm-hmm. being able to pivot whenever you need to in this industry is really crucial. And so I feel like she's definitely a blueprint for me and very much so inspired. Let's talk about pivoting. You just helped me segue to my next question. Thank you. No problem. (laughs) There's always something, there's always a new platform or feature 
to connect with audiences, right? So we have threads from a minute ago, right? Like if we go back every six months or, you know, something new. As a marketer, I'm kind of exhausted, I have to say. So I'm curious as a creator, what is your approach when something new pops up? Are you like, I want to be first to jump on it because this is like just a fun, fun way to play? Or do you step back and wait? Tell me a little bit about your thinking when there's something new to play with. So I would say as a creator, I'm exhausted too, (laughs) with there always being a new thing because you have to then create content or most would say you have to create content that caters to that. And I think a lot of creators who didn't hop on when TikTok was really trending. So a lot of creators who didn't hop on when TikTok was first being used more now in 2023, we kind of regret it just a bit like I wish I did TikTok in 2020 because it was much easier than for growth much easier Mm -hmm. for engagement and so I feel like for me I try to have discernment because Lemonade also came out and I feel like for a week or two everyone all of the marketing news we saw was about how Lemonade was the next big thing same thing happened with Clubhouse same thing is now happening with Threads so I feel like my strategy now is just to do what feels right. If I'm creating video content on Instagram, it's easy to just adapt it to TikTok and kind of, you know, apply it and try to do something a little bit different there. With threads, I love to write, but I'm also somewhat private. So it's a bit more difficult for me to like, like, I just feel like people constantly knowing your thoughts is something that I don't want to say I struggle with, but it's just like, I also think like, what do I want to say? And then I've, I had to like, be honest with myself and say, maybe this just isn't the platform for me and that's okay. Like every platform is not for every creator. And I think in this economy, it's really important to just do what you're strong at and do what you're good at. So if you know that you like speaking and you like recording videos, TikTok and Instagram reels are going to be perfect for you. If you don't like speaking as much and you get nervous behind a video, maybe you want to stick to photos and Instagram will be the best platform for you. Maybe you love long form content and so you want to be on YouTube. So I think the biggest thing any creator could do, especially with apps consistently coming out is, one be open to trying new things of course but also two find what you're really really good at hone in on that and adapt it to whatever platform you're on nay i love that you're giving yourself permission and also there for other creators who look up to you permission to say it's not for me like it's not you know it's it might be great for somebody else but it might not be good for me because i think there is this compulsion and it's the same with brands and marketing like let me be there let me be there i have to be there but you don't always have to be there. Like, it's okay that others are there and you're not there if it's not right for you. Right. But that's very, very hard. I feel like we're all so hungry or thirsty to be like the first to something. But that takes a lot of energy, right? right. And it, then it's going to take energy away from the stuff that you're really good at and the audiences that you've already cultivated. Right. And I think it's okay to change your mind. Like what you might want to do, maybe tomorrow I'll be like, oh, I really want to write this. or this is what I'm feeling and I want to share it. Like, it's okay to just do what you're comfortable with, still challenge yourself, never be too comfortable because we do have to adapt. That is the reality, especially when this is your career. But it's okay to like pace yourself and to be more intentional with the things that you do versus just hopping on something to hop on it because I feel like that can lead to burnout as well. I want to talk about two topics and maybe um, we're going to go pretty deep here. One is privacy, right? So you mentioned you're a private person. There's been an almost an expectation that creators open up their whole lives to their fans, but that doesn't have to be true. So what is your philosophy around, you know, what, what you bring to your audience versus what you keep private? I think for me, it's, again, just all about what feels right to me in the moment and what I'm comfortable with. So there's some things that for others, 
they would feel like it's not something that they want to share. Um, but for me, like I'm okay with sharing that. So I think my, my biggest thing that I'm typically private about are just things where it involves people that aren't me. So like family members, close friends, my partner, like things of that sort. Like I feel like I'm okay with being perceived because I signed up to be on social media. I created the account. I built an audience around myself. And so I'm okay with like posting certain things where I know maybe people will perceive me. But when it comes to other people in my life, I'm not always 100% comfortable with sharing everything. I might share small things, just not everything. But I think overall for me, Privacy is just about what I feel good about sharing versus what I feel like I just want to keep for myself. Um, and I think also connects to me with like religion as well, because there are certain things that we're just told um, within my religion that you should guard, essentially. It's so fast, such a fascinating world that we live in because it's so easy to get obsessed with the metrics, right? And chase the numbers. And for sure, like if you shared your wedding and your wedding photos or then like babies and baby photos, like that becomes something that can get you more attention, more video views, more profile views, like right, it can actually drive up KPIs. So how is it that you're able to just say to yourself, well, no, it's not about the numbers. It's just about, you know, protecting my privacy. Because it, I would imagine sometimes it's hard for people to say no to all that new attention. Yeah, I think it's just up to each, like, individual because I'm sure, like, I know that my photos that I posted when I got married probably performed best <laughs> on my entire page, which is fine. But I feel like, for me, the metrics matter less than my piece and like my joy and my happiness and like my peace of mind, I would rather have peace of mind and be able to know that like whatever does well for me is as a result of just directly me, right? Because what I wouldn't want to do also is introduce different verticals that I don't plan on maintaining. Like if I don't plan on, you know, consistently sharing my marriage or when I have kids or my relationship with my siblings, then posting it one time or a few times, it can boost engagement, but it's not something that I can maintain consistently. What I can maintain is showing you how to do your makeup, showing you how I like to get dressed and like being transparent about that. But other things that I feel like I'm not always going to want to share, I'd rather just keep it close to me. And I think there's beauty in that as well. I do. I think I have a similar philosophy. I mean, not I'm not a public figure like you, but number one for me in my work is serenity. I don't get it every day, but I strive for it, right? So sometimes taking on that new client isn't worth it because, you know, I know that it's going to impact, like, you know, my peace of mind or my team's peace of mind, right? So there's trade-offs. And what's number one important to me is, like, my headspace. I agree. So um, let's talk about the beauty industry, right? We're, we're still an industry of biases, even though, you know, we hope that we're making headway here. What are some of the obstacles you've come across and how have you and your audience helped sort of um, break through them? I think first and foremost, of course, especially when I first started, like the biggest obstacle was just representation. We kind of see where there's been improvements, but then there's also in certain aspects been regression. There's definitely been improvements when it comes to the 
beauty industry, but I feel like the fashion industry is starting to regress a bit. So I'm seeing like the verticals of both happening at the same time. So when it comes to beauty, like I just did a video a few days ago of how to make a product that's too dark work on your skin tone. And so many of the comments or so many of the most like comments were about, you know, wow, like the fact that we can even say as dark skin people, like something is too dark is something that we were not able to say a few years ago. So I feel like showing representation and showing up on these platforms, I think was the first obstacle is letting brands know that we're here. We're a market that you have not tapped into. And like, we want products too. We also want to do our makeup. And I think from people just showing up online and consumers demanding more, we saw more actually happening. Whereas I feel like with fashion, the biggest obstacle right now is just accessibility. Like there are so many things that people take for granted, like being able to shop in stores, being able to try on items and know that your size is going to be there, or even just the perception from sales associates when you walk into a store. Um, so I feel like in general, the obstacles between beauty and fashion are a bit different. For beauty is just that inclusivity, that representation, which we've been seeing. Um, maybe one of the things now is just tokenism, which I feel like could still be an issue. And with fashion, I think it's just a regression of the improvement that they did start to make in accessibility. I was in Vegas this past week for Cosmoprof, which is B2B trade show. And, you know, there's all these malls. Every hotel has, you know, like malls of fancy stores. And literally, like some of the clothes in the window of the stores, they look like doll size clothes. Like yeah. it was so insane. And, you know, I, I know, I mean, I don't follow fashion the way you do, but I've noticed that there's been a lot of conversation about like what happened with actually like, you know, the humans in these clothes looking like humans, right? And not right. Um, children. So uh, I'm sorry to hear that that progress isn't has been stalled but it's really important that you keep using your voice right and that your fans yeah. keep using their voice here yeah okay so let's go to my last two questions in the interview part of the show one which is do you read your comments and dms or is someone do that for you so most times i do them myself however i feel like the bigger you get or the more comments you get sometimes like for me, I just want to respond to everybody. Like that's my issue is that even when I first started, I prided myself consistently on being someone that answered every DM and every comment. That was my thing. And I feel like once it got to a point where I couldn't do that as much, I felt so terrible. And I would like outsource it to like people on my team. Like, hey, like can you respond to a few comments for me? Because what people don't realize is that like I got carpal tunnel from just <laughs> always being on the phone and like responding to everything. So it's a mix of both. Um, it just depends on the date and on the the volume if it's something that I can manage I respond to everything myself so if it's something that I can't manage I'll have someone respond to my comments but dms are always me oh okay that's really good so dms yeah. are always you that's probably a lot DMs of work though are always me yes dms are always me comments I would say 75% of the time are me 25% of the time is someone on my team and it, why do you just split it up that way? DMs, I feel like it's just so much more personal. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm answering a DM, we're talking, we're here. Like, mm -hmm. I want to, like, understand what you're asking. I want to be able to respond personally. And with comments, it's just because sometimes the comment might just be a heart emoji. And honestly, even with my comments, when someone responds to something asking about an item or they respond to something in a more personal matter, like, I'll answer those myself. Those will be the ones where we have it flagged in the team. Like, those are for me to respond to. Mm -hmm. So... I think comments are just sometimes more general. DMs are more personal. So I like to personally answer every DM. I love that. Okay. What are you doing with your time when you're not working? And I know it's hard to not work in your role. But yeah. it sounds like you probably do make an effort to 
have some boundaries. So what do you like to do when you're not creating? Yeah, so I just created that boundary from the time that I quit teaching and worked in marketing. So August 2020 up until this year, June 2023, I did not take like a single just like long vacation, extended vacation to go anywhere, to travel. Like I was just work, 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 work. And I was severely burnt out, like lost so much of my creative like juices. Like I just felt like I was in a space where I didn't even know who I was as a creator anymore. And so I intentionally took the entire month of June off. And like during that time, I just challenged myself to just do random things. So I went and did candle making. I went to like a cupcake class. I went like just outside one day and just kind of like hop from different events. like, And so I feel like now what I like to do outside of my free time is definitely spending that time with family, with friends, with my husband. Um, like even right now, I'm not, like I'm traveling right now, I'm not home. So I feel like I found a good balance and I just want to maintain that of doing hobbies outside of creating content. And for me, a lot of those hobbies include like hands-on, fun, creative things that I don't necessarily need to like share all the time. That are just like for me, like painting, like I can do that by myself and not necessarily have to share the process or share that. What did you learn about yourself in June when you took a break? I learned that sometimes like I'm all in or all out and there's beauty and balance, right? Because when I was all in, I was just work, 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 not taking any real breaks, not maintaining or upkeeping friendships, just like focused on my end goal um and then in June I was like super relaxed like just all my friends like hey when do y'all want to go out like what do y'all want to do and even though that was fun I also got burnt out at one point from that too because I'm an introvert so I like my time to like recharge so I tried to do a lot really quickly and so I think the biggest thing I learned is that too extreme is never good there's beauty in the middle there's beauty in the balance so like after work today going out to dinner with my sister and my husband. That to me is balance. As I spent the day working the first half and the last half I'm going to spend going out to eat. So I think like there's beauty in that. I love this. Oh my God, this has been so fun. So, um, Nay, I want to say thank you for the wisdom. This wraps up our interview segment. And I know our fans loved your really honest answers. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. Okay. Last part of our show. We have about five minutes left for fan questions. Okay. There's so many questions here. Okay. Let's okay. This is a fashion one, but Marie is asking, "What is your favorite curvy jeans Ooh, brand?" Favorite jeans brand. So I would say I have three. So and I'll tell you, I'll explain why for each one, so that you can figure out which one would be best for you. Eloquy, I found um, consistently updates their site with different jean options and they're typically watching for like the trends and they recreate some of the trends. So I feel like Eloquy, I know at any point in time will have like a jean that will fit really nicely. Um, two, I would definitely say Abercrombie, which surprised me. Abercrombie and Fitch, they have extended their jean sizes and a lot of them do fit really, really well and the quality of the jean is really good. And then third is one that I recently discovered and they're not the most sustainable. However, the jeans fit beautifully and they're always on trend and that would be fashion over for the jeans. Um, but for sure, top two, I would say Eloqui and uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. Great. So Fancy Faces by Linda is asking a really interesting question. Was there a big break moment or was it gradual growth for you in your career as a creator? Overall, I would say it's been gradual. It's the overwhelming thing that I feel is that as time has gone on, I've gotten better as a creator when it comes to the content I produce and the partnerships have come consistently. But I would be remiss 
um, if I didn't say that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement being so much in the media in June of 2020, I think greatly contributed to every Black creator because before that, I think we could all consistently say that brands were not tapping into Black creators consistently. And if they were tapping into Black creators, it was the same Black creators. But I think after so many brands had to share the diversity numbers of people that they had working at the company and like had to own up to the fact that they weren't working with a lot of Black creators, there was definitely a huge industry shift. Okay, I think we have time for maybe one or two more questions. Let's do, oh, here's one. What are your summer vacation plans? Um, well, I am out of the country for the rest of summer. So I am just going to be enjoying my time with family and friends and hopefully get like a, a travel destination like outside of North America completely within this time between now and September. Great. So now let's talk about boundaries. Will you share about your vacation with your fans or is this just private and off limits? I haven't decided yet. Okay. I love <laughs> that. You get I to feel. decide. <laughs> yes. But I love that you're you're giving yourself a minute to think about it. You don't have yeah. to just assume that you are or assume that you're not. I probably will, but I just haven't decided how mm -hmm. or what. It's just what feels good in the moment. I love that. Okay, let's give one, let you one more question. Uh -huh. Okay, this is a good one. What was the best advice you were given by another creator in your career? So I'll be honest. I think that for me, most times I am afraid to ask for help or afraid to ask for advice. I think overall when it comes to just like friendships, that I've built with other creators. I think one of the biggest things that we just consistently tell each other and that has helped me is just, just post your content. Like don't overthink it. Don't hold back, just post and go. Um, and I think that has been the most helpful because I think it's so easy sometimes to just get caught up in metrics um, or to get caught up in, you know, feeling like no one cares. And I think just having the mindset or the advice of just post can pull you out of that rut to know like, it's okay, just post it, like you never know. I love that advice. Well, Nate, thank you so much. This has been incredible. I love spending time with you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everyone who's listening and joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review. As always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Nay. Have a good day. Bye. Enjoy your vacation. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.